Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Warning. This show contains adult political themes and language. Liberals and little children should cover their ears. Welcome to Liberty Never Sleeps, where negativity never sounded so good. Now here's your host, Thomas Purcell. Good morning and welcome to Liberty Never Sleeps. Make sure to follow the show at our website at libertyneversleeps.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Liberty Tom. And now you can watch the videotaping at Real Liberty Never Sleeps on Facebook as well as on YouTube.com. Good morning. It seems like people only want to worry about the little things rather than things that matter to people anymore. Doesn't it seem that way to you? It seems like we're more concerned about what somebody sends out in a social media post rather than the national debt or rather than our troops being overseas or the problems in Hong Kong. I, I don't know why the nation doesn't seem concerned about the problems in Hong Kong because something really awful is going to happen over there. Those people are protesting for their freedom against a tyrannical government and we seem to be more concerned about whether our toaster goes up 50 cents or not. And I'm re really, the honest God's truth, that's what you see in all of these news reports about China tariffs and things like that, which only affects a small percentage of people and only for a small amount of money. And we're not concerned about this nation that we're doing business with overrunning a small, tiny island of free market people who are fighting for their freedom. We're not concerned about that. We're not, and, and the world is going to stand by and watch it happen because they want cheaper goods. And Donald Trump has made a point about this in regards to NATO and doing business with Iran and buying their oil and gas through those Syria pipelines, through the Russian pipelines. They sit and bitch and moan about Vladimir Putin's actions. They ask the United States to support NATO, which it does, far in excess of what the other nations are contributing, essentially making the United States responsible for their national defense. And then they turn right around and buy gas and oil and other energy supplies, which Europe is dependent upon, from the very people they're complaining about. And nobody seems concerned about it. Nobody's worried about it. Everybody's worried about Putin, but nobody's worried about them doing business with him all the time. Same thing with China. And I, I just sometimes I don't understand it. And I think it's maybe largely driven by our mainstream media. Maybe it's driven by a lack of understanding of world politics, a lack of understanding of basic how America works or what its role in the world is. I mean, you've got candidates like Andrew Yang and, and Pete Buttigieg 
that are making all kinds of ridiculous arguments about why they should be president. They can't attract more than 3 or 4% of their own base, let alone have any national following. And they're arguing about how to deal with climate change with a friggin... I mean, it's a plot to Diamonds Are Forever, a giant space mirror overhead to somehow combat climate change by directing solar energy at different parts of the planet. Are, are, are you kidding me? We can't even build a wall to protect our own borders, and Yang is proposing an idea of putting a giant space mirror in space to direct heat on the planet. To say nothing of the international ramifications of it, not to mention the feasibility of it. I mean, that's a plot to Diamonds Are Forever. It's a plot to a Bond movie. For God's sakes. And this guy thinks that's going to elect him the president? I, I don't even know what I where where what kind of, of of presidential thought process is that? You know, in, in Donald Trump's defense, in his wildest claims when he was running for president, he never proposed the idea of a giant space mirror, for God's sakes. And the left, it seems like I, I, some of these candidates, they're, they're, they're focusing on esoteric things with wild ideas and not focusing on a common sense approach to governing our nation. And they, and they constantly go after Trump on little petty anti-stuff that really doesn't make a hill of beans a difference. Take, for instance, they're talking about Attorney General William Barr. Bill Barr is planning a Christmas party, and it's going to involve a lot of high-profile guests. He's a wealthy individual long before he became Attorney General of the United States under Trump, and he's going to spend about thirty grand. And and I, people are out saying, "Oh my gosh, he's spending thirty grand on a Christmas party." I got news for you: people spend thirty grand on a wedding. If you're having a Christmas party that's going to be involving a lot of guests and whatnot. 30 grand is not unreasonable considering he's going to have it in, in Washington, D.C. You got to figure a catering for a couple hundred people is going to cost you between five and 10 grand alone. And it came to like something like, I don't know, $115 a plate or whatever. And then they're making a big deal about having, and that he's booking a Trump property for the party. Now, first, first of all, it's not illegal. The Washington Post, which did a story on this, had quoted two people who were ethics officials in previous administrations as well as current administration officials, and all of them had said it's not illegal. It's a private party. The second issue is the Washington Post continues on in the article and says, oh, it's not illegal. Several times in the article it says it's not illegal. But says, oh, but it casts an aspersion on the president and, ca and puts the eye on ethics. In other words, yeah, but it looks bad. And I'm thinking, it only looks bad to a liberal. It doesn't look bad to anybody else. Donald Trump has signed agreements which place other people in charge of his property, which places other people in charge of a blind trust. He's probably losing billions. I mean, you know, when you put it in blind trust, that means you don't make the money. 
Somebody else does, the investors and whatnot. You're dis, you're di, you divested from it. And then when you take uh, go back from being president, you reassume control of these properties. And it's only $30,000, which is, I mean, it's not even a drop in the bucket when you consider how many banquet rooms and how many facilities and how many parties and how many events that are booked in these hotels. So why... They're focusing on a little thing. And they say, well, it's an impeachable offense. Well, no, because obviously it isn't. Three three different administration officials and former administration officials said that it doesn't break any laws. If you're going to impeach the president, you could just make shit up because you got the Democratic House. There's no reason why you can't. Even the Democrats in Congress, the more reasonable-minded one, the Democratic establishment says they're not going to do it. They keep talking about, oh, we got another person who's going to vote for impeachment. The guy is a year away from election and you're focusing on little bitty things. It's not like he committed any crime. And a lot of this is because the Mueller report fell through. They had pinned all of their hopes on the fact that Donald Trump was somehow in cahoots with Russians. And it turned out that wasn't the case. They couldn't find any evidence of that. Even Robert Mueller said, well, we don't find any evidence. Well, he could have done something. He probably did, but we can't find any evidence of it. It's, it's classic misdirection. And they just keep going on and on with dumb narratives, focusing on little things. This is how Trump got elected the first time around. If you remember... When we were going into the election season in 2015, and it was lining up to be a Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush election, and Trump said, this is ridiculous, stood on the stage and said, no, we're going to rebuild our national defense. We're going to protect our borders. We're going to restore a proper economy in this government. We're going to reduce the size and scope of government. Basic conservative principles, not always a true conservative. He talked about public health care in some way that would be not necessarily a conservative viewpoint. But these were small things. My big issue with Trump during the election was that if he got elected, it was going to turn into a circus because he wasn't part of the Democratic establishment. I'm on record as saying so. That was my big issue. It wasn't that Trump wasn't a good guy or that he wasn't a Republican. or It's just it's going to become a circus. And they just keep focusing on the little things, and as I thought that, as I knew this would happen. But he was pointing out during his election on relatively normal ideas. And it was the right wing, and then of course the Hillary Clinton crowd, which were focusing on the ridiculous, on the crazy. Donald Trump wasn't the first one to call people names. They were all attacking Donald Trump as being irresponsible, that he would destroy the Republican Party, he would destroy Republicanism, he would destroy conservative. I mean, they were talking about him in that term. And so when they did, he struck back and he started calling them weird names. He started calling low-energy Jeb Bush, for instance. Carly Fiorina took a shot at him, so he goes, well, you know, who would look at that face? As, and that became a narrative, that face. Lately, it's been the same thing. Same thing that got him elected the first time around. They're going to get him elected again. 
They got people like Anthony Scaramucci, who worked only 12 days. 12 days in the administration. Now comes out, gets a gig on CNN because, quote-unquote, he's a former administration official, former conservative, former Republican. Suddenly comes out against Trump and, 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 and gets a deal. Like everyone didn't know what that was all about. He's out there talking about all kinds of things. And now he's bitching and moaning that Donald Trump went after him. Well, yeah, you went after him first. You're focusing on the little things about him calling you names rather than what those policies are. Rather than what the results are. That's what we used to talk about. I remember I grew up in the Nixon era. There were serious discussions about the direction of the way the country should go. And there were serious differences. Well, we should tax more. Well, we should tax less. Well, we need this program. Well, we don't need this program. Well, we should handle foreign policy this way. Well, we shouldn't handle foreign policy that way. Now it's, we need giant space mirrors and he's having a party in the Trump estate. First, second of all, I want to point something out. Is it any wonder that Bill Barr books a Trump resort in this era where everybody is attacking conservatives left and right in public venues? You can't go out. If you're a conservative and you wear a MAGA hat or you're an administration official and they recognize you, you're going to, people are going to spit and throw you things at you until you leave. It has happened a number of times. There was a, a story, if I remember right, it was Sarah Huckabee Sanders who was thrown out of a Red Hen restaurant simply because she was Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So it's no wonder that Bill Barr is going to book something at a Trump estate. It's the only place he probably can. And, and everybody's focusing on that. I mean, it's not just social media. It's even the major news sources. I, here, I've got the, the Fox News site right up here for my, for my homepage. For, it's just the basics. Listen to the story. The lead story on Fox News this morning is about Trump calling a New York Times columnist a loser and mocking him over bedbugs fault. That's the lead story. In a world where they're doing the G7 summit, in a world where Hong Kong is seeking independence from China, in a world where you have all kinds of $22 trillion in debt, they're talking about a bedbugs column, which we'll get to in this segment because there is some interesting news there. Then you got another story about a D.C. consultant alleged affair with Ilhan Omar. Then you've got another story about a TV news anchor giving a tearful apology to a black colleague. And then Davidson goes off on millennials during a stand-up routine. This is news? This is like five, page five entertainment news. And yet we continue to focus on it. And what's the big thing that's going around social media? Social media is even worse. Whether Chick-fil-A or Popeye's has a better chicken sandwich. And apparently these restaurants are buried now at the drive-in lines and stuff trying to get chicken sandwiches to compare them. Well, honest to God, that's the truth. Is that what America's become? A nation of people obsessed with Alyssa Milano and Chris Kardashian? I, I guess it is. Maybe that's how Trump got elected. I don't know. I want to talk about a couple real stories today, just non-political stories that are important 
but nobody seems to be talking about. You got a fly in the house. It's important that you know about these stories, about what our nation is doing. And I know it's not fun to talk about the Johnson and Johnson lawsuit or Teflon or the 30-year rate curve. But it's important we do that. It's important we discuss things that will affect you in your life in ways that you can't even think of. It's the little things we're focusing on and not the big things. And that's a problem. That's how the world gets run while we're all worried about a Popeye's chicken sandwich. We're not worried about the 30-year rate yield. Let's talk about some of those things. We'll be right back. Johnson & Johnson, major pharmaceutical company, makes everything from baby powder to drugs, has been sued in U.S. courts. number of lawsuits on about the manufacture of opioids. And I, there's all kinds of lawsuits against Johnson & Johnson. It's been a bad couple of years for Johnson & Johnson. They recently had a lawsuit. I believe it's a $571 million lawsuit over manufacture and overuse of prescription drugs, particularly opioids. The problem isn't Johnson & Johnson so much as it is doctors who prescribe these drugs willy-nilly. Now, I'm not going to argue whether Johnson & Johnson behavior is acceptable or not. They provided information to doctors that just really wasn't true. But the bottom line is this. Doctors should know better when you have a drug like OxyContin and you hand it out left and right, that people are going to get addicted to it. We've gone down this road so many times with prescription drugs. And it goes back to all kinds of drugs that were out there. Quaaludes. I can remember uh, Fiornal was another one. Any kind of drug which kills pain is going to be addictive. I don't care what the drug is or in what way it's dispensed, or who makes it, if you provide a drug that can essentially get you high, people are going to abuse it. And doctors have to be the gatekeeper on that. They have to be able to say to people, hey, listen, you got to be careful when you take this drug that you don't take too much and that you get off it as quickly as you can. Because if you continue to take this drug, you're going to have an addiction. And we don't treat these things as medical issues. We tr continue to treat them as legal ones. We sue Johnson & Johnson for hundreds of millions of dollars. We lock up people for being abusers instead of getting to, to drug treatment. And we make doctors the gatekeeper who act irresponsibly. We issue license to doctors saying, okay, only a doctor can prescribe a drug. We, we only allow certain people to become doctors. And then we don't hold them accountable when things go wrong. When was the last time you heard about a doctor losing a license? It, it, it's almost impossible. We create our own problems. 
Medical issues like addiction should be handled in a medical way, and government shouldn't be involved in the doctor-patient relationship. But now it becomes unavoidable because of Obamacare, because of Medicare, because of government interference and licensing. We now have enabled a system which guarantees that we're going to have problems with prescription drugs. And then what do we do? We hold Johnson & Johnson accountable for making a drug when we enable a system top to bottom for them to do that. And we don't seem to be concerned about it. And of course, juries are always happy to stick it to the corporations, aren't they? There was a, there's a case now. There, there's a movie out. In, uh, I believe it's in Aspen at the film festival there. It's coming up. They're all talking about it. It's about a case involving DuPont and the Washington Works factory where they make Teflon. They make Teflon in a variety of different manners, but in the processing of Teflon, it makes a chemical called POFA. I believe it's POFA. And that POFA ends up in the environment through smokestacks, through wastewater disposal. DuPont knows this. POFAs are in the bloodstreams of 98% of the world's population. It's a byproduct of processing chemicals. They've done studies since the 50s studying this because they know, again, when you make Teflon and other industrial products, lots of different, what they're called is polyfluoramides. It produces POFA. And and when you use a nonstick pan, that Teflon coating, a little bit gets in your food. It happens. They've been studying it since the 50s and the evidence is still out on the dangers of POFAs. It would have to be a fairly high toxic concentration in your blood to cause problems. They know that. They've been testing it on mice. There are hundreds of thousands of emails between DuPont, 3M, other manufacturers of polyfluoramides. And the evidence is scant that it causes problems. At least in any kind of manufacture of the item. Do people that are working in the plant suffer a higher incidence of illnesses that may be related to polyfluorine? Yeah, maybe. When you get into blood concentrations that are thousands of parts per million instead of three or four, which is what the average person has in their bloodstream. Anytime you put anything in your body, anything, that isn't naturally occurring in the environment, there's a risk of uh, carcinogenic properties. There's a risk that your body won't react well to them. That goes for anything. When you take a vaccine, for instance, a shot for measles, there's a risk of injury from the shot itself. That doesn't mean you don't take the shot. The risk of measles is higher than the risk of injury from the vaccine. Same thing with Teflon, anything. Johnson & Johnson, 3M, DuPont, all of these companies, that they make a product. And sometimes products injure people. doesn't matter what the product is. But there's this film out about this stuff, 
And they're painting a corporation as evil, as somehow being responsible for that. And the main evidence against these companies is always internal studies that show that Johnson & Johnson, DuPont, 3M, any one of these companies that make these products, opioids, Teflon, whatever, knows about the problem. Well, yeah, but does that make them responsible? And, and, and at first blush, you're going to say, well, of course it is. If they know that a product is dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, but you understand this. How many people have been helped by opioids? How many people have benefited from POFA products? Everything from dental floss to Teflon. It's not just Teflon in a pan, you understand. Everything from lining of pizza boxes, things like that. Anything that is a slick surface is made with POFA products. And it, make, it accounts for billions of dollars of industry, billions of millions of jobs around the world. All kinds of products which, which have made life more comfortable and easy for the average American. Or the average world traveler, for instance. So you have to put it on balance. But of course a jury doesn't do that. The jury sees a study that they did in the 50s or 60s where they massively dose a white mouse and the white mouse gets a birth defect. Somebody walks into the courtroom who works for these companies and has the same birth defect. Instantly, you're going to lose the case. Instantly. Because people go, oh, look, he's got the same thing the mouse did from 30 years ago. Of course, so they knew. Yeah, but they don't look at all of the millions and millions of people that have been helped by the product. Same thing with vaccines. It's the same argument. And these are things that affect your life. That's a debate that you should be thinking about. Instead of just reading the news story and say, oh, Johnson Johnson, those are sons of bitches made an opioid that killed people. That is addicting people. Yeah, but how many people got helped by opioids? Millions. Millions got relief from things like cancer, pain, dental pain all kinds of horrors. And when government gets involved, when government gets involved in, the, in legal lawsuits, regulations and whatnot, what do the corporations are forced to do? Their existence relies on these products. Well, it makes a new product. And it just does what? Something the same other product used to do. That's what 3M and Johnson are doing with Teflon and some of the other products. They're, there's another spin-off company which makes a very similar product. It's still a POFA. It's still going to risk injuring people. It's, it's the nature of it. At what point do we say as a society, well, we've got to put things on a balance? Cooler and wiser heads sometimes do that. And that's why they would, the Johnson Johnson stock, by the way, I've been watching it recently went up because the fine was only hundreds of millions of dollars. Because there has been no evidence that POFAs are dangerous to the average person in general. The FDA certainly isn't blocking it. They aren't blocking the manufacture of it. Oh, the UN is howling about it. The UN won't let you make anything. They're a bunch of leftists. But these are stories that affect you and you have to weigh things and understand all of the facts. I don't know if a, uh, a lawyer in this courtroom ever said that to the ju jury, but they should have. Hey, listen. Yeah, 
Johnson's Johnson's been studying this opioid problem for years. We want to know who is affected, how they're affected, and what the implications for the company is. That doesn't make them liable. That makes them more responsible. Understanding their product, how is it affecting people, how can we improve the product. They do this as part of, as part of product research. And they're saying, yeah, but how many people have been helped? How, does a lawyer say that to the jury? I, I would hope they would. How many people have been helped by opioids? How many people have been helped by Teflon, POFA products? Millions. You've got to put it on the balance sheet. Is it terrible that somebody gets a birth defect? Is it terrible that somebody becomes addicted to it? Sure, absolutely. But you handle that by saying, hey, listen, Maybe we should handle this without legal means, without putting fines on the company, which doesn't solve anything, which just makes the company less viable and more likely to create a new and more dangerous product. Maybe we should say, you know what, might be a good idea. Maybe we should treat this as a medical problem. Maybe DuPont can create a clinic or take care of the health bills. That's what you should be doing. But instead, we're involving the legal process. We're crossing civil and, and legal law. And it usually has poor results. Puts companies out of business. Causes companies to create brother. We would not have OxyContin and some of this new generation of opioids had we not banned them from products like Fiorinal back in the 60s. And you need to consider that. These are things that affect your life. This is, these are things that should be the lead story on the news and the page three, page four, page five. Because it's more fun to talk about a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Let's talk about the 30-year rate curve next because that's out on the news in page three, page four. Strudge Report, in all fairness, has been showing it as a headline for a couple days because it is an important story. But I'm going to tell you why it's important and why it's not. We'll be right back. As you well know, I used to be in the financial markets, 15-year guy. So I know something about this subject. I gave up my Series 6 and Series 7 to do this show. You have to. If you talk about investments, and you've talk, you talk, it puts your license at risk. So I just simply voluntarily surrendered it. And I do have my life and health license still. There's a concept known as the 30-year rate curve. It's the shift between bonds and stock market yields in relation. I, I'm trying to be as, as layman's terms as I can. It's the shift in the, in the yield from a government bond because government sets monetary policy in the United States. It sets monetary policy in many countries. It does things like loan money to companies at interest rates. And when the interest rates go up, the prime rate, typically the 30-year bond yield turns around. It makes an arc. In other words, as the, as the stock market improves, it goes down. And then as the interest rates go up, it has a tendency to take the 30-year yield up. People, in other words, what people are running to shelter. When you, when you want financial shelter, you invest money in government bonds. 
because the United States government most likely is not going anywhere. And that creates a chart, what the bond yield is and how it turns. And it's called a 30-year rate curve. What's the 30-year rate look like? You go back 30 years. The 30-year rate curve typically is an indication of recession. And the reason it is, is because it means that companies now are running for cover and trying to shelter money. When there's an economic downturn, smart companies, large companies like to shelter their money, as well as private investors and hedge fund managers. It's not unusual to see this kind of a rate curve when interest rates rise. It also is a worrisome sign. Because it means that there are people that want to hide their money right now, that are worried about an economic downturn. They're worried that people are going to stop buying goods. But that rate yield curve can also be affected by media stories that there is a recession coming. In other words, if CNN comes out with a story that says Chinese tariffs are a problem, it's going to affect the stock market. It takes a dump. And what happens is hedge fund managers say, mm, maybe we shouldn't be investing in so much in large cap. Let's take a percentage of our fund and stick it into government bonds. And the rate yield curve starts to go up. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a day and age when the mainstream media is directing people in what should be important or not. So it may not be an indication of a recession. But you also understand when you read these stories from CNN, CNBC, other, other business sites, that if you go and you read the story thoroughly with a careful eye, with somebody or some knowledge of financial markets, they'll tell you that while a 30-year rate yield curve is an indication of a future recession, it means in the far future, like a year and a half, two years down the road. Well, we've been in a boom economy for three years. Well, but two and a half. It started to turn when Trump took election, when he took office, because people suddenly realized, wow, Hillary Clinton is not going to become president. Government is going to ease up on regulations. It's almost certainly going to pass a tax reform now that the Republicans control the Senate, House, and the executive Oval Office. So hedge fund managers and other fund managers and businesses are going to suddenly shift tactics. So naturally, the individual investor starts buying and the rate goes through the roof. Stock market went through the roof. It's been going through the roof up until recently. It's been three years. It's only natural that at a year and a half out, it's going to be a recession. So naturally, a 30-year curve turns up. We were worried about this in August of 2018. August is the time when fund managers begin to shift money. That's why the stock market almost always has a bad October. It goes quarterly. Usually fund managers start thinking about it and start hiding money in August and then make the purchases in October for the next year. That's how it works. So the rate yield curve typically goes up every August or down, depending on which way the economy they think is going to change. And then in October, you see a huge, bam, slam dunk on, Octo on the stock market. Almost always, October is a bad month. Some of the worst drops in stock market history happened in October, mainly because people shift money. All of the smart people 
like hedge fund managers, hide their money in August or September. And then when the stock market takes a dump, they make their purchases and make a killing. That's why you see the rate yield turn up now. The curve was more significant in 2018 when you examine it. Every August it turns up. And every August it's more severe than this one. The last two are more severe than this one. So is a potential recession a year, year and a half down? Yes. Is it normal, expected, and the 30-year rate curve an indication of that? Yes. It doesn't mean that the economy is going to suddenly collapse. It means that there will be a hit in October, and it means hedge fund managers and other mutual fund managers are planning for it. You should too. I always say when the stock market take a huge dump, that's the time for you to make a purchase. You can make a quick buck in these kind of market. When you have this kind of volatility, that's when you make money. Volatility is how you make money in the stock market, not at always going up. Not unless you're just dumping money into the market in an index fund and you just want to sit on it. But true investment capitalize on the ups and downs of market. They do things like buy on margin, buy on puts, buy on calls, manipulate money. This is what the hedge fund managers and other mutual fund managers are doing now. That's why the rate year code is turning up. But companies are still hiring in record numbers. People are still purchasing goods in record numbers. Companies are still expanding. It is unlikely that the recession that they are all claiming is going to happen will happen before the November election in 2020. The mainstream media is wishing for it to happen because they know that an incumbent president almost never loses when an economy is good. Now, presidents change parties after the, the second term, whether the economy is good or bad. It, this ha this is a, it, it, it's a common occurrence for, for governments to go from Republican to Democrat, Democrat to Republican, because people just get tired. And usually there's an economic downturn at the end of an, uh, a second term of presidency, no matter who it is, because people are worried about what the future government will hold and they try to predict it. So there's always an economic downturn. But it's really not something to be concerned about unless, unless government does something stupid and begins to try and manipulate the economy to prevent that. Then you got problems. That's what we had in 2007 with the housing crisis. I've talked about this before, but I'm bear it bears mentioning again because the 30-year rate curve, they're constantly yelling about. They're constantly yelling about it because they want to get rid of Trump. I'm not concerned about it. At this point, and I don't like to give investment advice, plan on a future drop in October, a major stock market drop in October. That's going to happen for a lot of reasons, some of which I've told you now, some of which are kind of tinfoil hat theories that the market tends to get manipulated right before an election time and October is when you do it. 
when when a fund begins to change over from stocks to bonds to cash, depending on that the management management of a fund decides what percentage of its fund is going to be in large cap, small cap, whatever, and that has based on a lot of internal rules and whatnot. But usually those changes are made in October, which is why the market takes a huge up. People sell. Mutual fund manager goes, well, we need less Johnson & Johnson and more Apple. So he sells his Johnson & Johnson and buys Apple, that kind of thing. So what happens is the market takes a huge dump in October. Plan on it. But they'll be screaming about it in October. Here it comes. The, here comes the great crash. Recessions and booms back and forth are normal functions of a functioning economy. When you have a free market economy. When you have a planned economy, it doesn't happen just goes right along flat, 1% to 2%. It's impossible to make money. It's also impossible to unseat people who have that money, and that's the key thing here. When you have a great deal of wealth, when you're a multimillionaire or a billionaire, one of the things that is a threat to you financially is new people coming along and you making money or you losing your money because it's not sitting in checking account. It's sitting in investments, it's sitting in businesses, it's sitting in real estate. And the one thing that you don't want when you're a billionaire is volatility. You don't want the rug being pulled under, out from underneath your assets. So what do you do? You want an economy that's just going to slowly grow one inch at a time, and then you can pass on your wealth from generation to generation. It entrenches, it solidifies, it cements the power in place. Volatility means you might lose your wealth tomorrow and some new guy comes along and makes all the money. So in a free market, freedom-oriented culture, you have more free market economics. In planned European countries with kings and queens, they want stable, low growth. Nobody makes money except us. That's what they want. That's why the Federal Reserve is manipulating the money the way it is now. This is why they're constantly talking about we got to get rid of Trump. That's why they're constantly selling you on the idea that recessions are bad. Well, recessions are good. It gets rid of businesses that aren't functional, that aren't doing well. I could point to a number of American companies that should have been broken up years ago and should have went bankrupt. General Motors. It's a dysfunctional company. It makes its product overseas. It makes a shitty product over, overpriced for the, the marketplace. That's why all of these foreign car companies are so successful. It's because General Motors is squatting on the thing. And nobody's buying the product except by fleet. That company should have gone on business year, out of business years ago or broken up. But government has been propping it up for years. we got to move on. I got to get back to this thing about tweets and Facebook posts that are news, something on the chickens and sandwiches and bed bugs. We got so much. We'll be right back. Well, I probably could find me another, but I guess they're all in all of me. Who cares? I never get lonesome because I treasure my own. Since when? Are tweets important? I mean, who cares what so-and-so says something about something? Honest to God. Who gives a rat's ass what Alyssa Milano thinks about abortion? I don't. 
Well, she has millions of followers and they may vote a certain way. Speaking of bad votes, Phoenix voted to kill itself last night. but had a vote on public transit and auditing the pension funds of the city and no, no one voted for it. Something like 70% of the people or, or said, we don't want an audit of our public officials, which is absolute madness. Phoenix is going to become another Baltimore. You watch. Since when are tweets news? Who cares? Who cares what John Cryer sends out? I mean, it's fun to get in an argument with him. It's fun to point out the intellectual flaws in their argument. Who cares? Ultimately, who cares? I don't, I don't really care what Donald Trump tweets. What I care about is what does he sign into law? I don't care that Andrew Yang is proposing a giant space mirror over the head. I'm worried that he's going to get elected and propose something like that to Congress and people are going to buy into it. That's what concerns me. Tweets are not news. It's only news because we got these stupid cell phones glued to our faces every day. Who cares whether Popeye's or Chick-fil-A has a better chicken sandwich? I don't really know. They all taste like shit to me. I don't go to a fast food restaurant for a chicken sandwich. Not to mention, in fact, chicken sandwich sounds gross. Chicken breast on a bun? I don't understand. I See, I'm from the old school. Chicken should be on Parmesan, on pasta, or maybe tossed in a salad. I'm just, I chicken on a bun? I, I don't get it. I never buy a chicken sandwich. I haven't said I've never bought one. I just... What, what, who cares if Popeyes or Chick-fil-A has a better sandwich? Honest to God. They all taste like shit. Everything is now news because somebody tweeted something out. You know, there was this story from the New York Times about one of Trump's properties. I think it was the Doral property that he owns. Well, Blind Trust owns it now, I think. I, I don't think... I don't think his kids, it was transferred to his kids on that case. I think that one's in a blind trust. Don't correct me if I'm wrong. It's, it's okay. It doesn't matter. He's talking about this story from 2017. There was a lawsuit from 2017. And the reason it's in the news is because Trump is saying, well, well the next G7 should be in the United States at his Doral Resort. Guy named Eric Linder. He claims that he woke up one morning at Trump's property with bites all over his body. Now, you got to remember, this is 2017. So for all I know, and I don't know the content of the lawsuit or the evidence or whatnot, I, you know, there's, a, I mean, it, it, with, the, with the political environment the way that it is, if somebody claims that they were woke up in 2017 with bed bugs and nobody else did, you got to wonder, is it a politically motivated lawsuit? Which is another reason why lawsuits should not be mixed with legal law. It should be mostly kept within the civil. Be that as it may, this columnist, Brett Stevens, reported on it again. Like it's news. Yeah, okay. You know how many lawsuits against hotels are going on all the time because of bed bugs? And it's not just Trump's resort. So... He does this story, and then Trump says, you know, that's irresponsible to suggest that one of my resorts is loaded up with bedbugs. Because that's the term he used, loaded up. 
And it went back and forth between Brett Stevens and Trump fans. And he was mocked because somebody mentioned that the New York Times building itself was infested with bed bugs. You know, there was this problem in New York a few years ago. This was during, I believe, the Obama administration about problems with bed bugs in New York hotels. It was an infestation that was spreading through the city. I, I reported this on the show, I believe. And it resurfaced when Brett Stevens said the Doyle Resort was infested with bed bugs. And people said, yeah, the New York Times building itself is infested with bed bugs. And then somebody, I believe it was uh, George Washington Associate Professor Dave Karpf, you know, it's just like some guy out of nowhere says, you know what, Brett Stevens is a bed bug. And everybody went wild with it because it, it grew legs. And apparently Brett Stevens bit into it. Remember how yesterday I talked about you get somebody to take an indefensible position and then that way it makes them look stupid? He, he actually wrote a letter to the professor's boss, the head of his department, saying that it was inappropriate. And uh, he he said in the letter, uh, someone pointed out in a tweet you wrote about me, I'm I'm reading it exactly, calling me a bed bug, Stevens began in his email. I'm often amazed about these things supposedly decent people are prepared to say about other people, prepared people they've never met on Twitter. I think you've never set a new low or new standard. He went on to invite Karp to his home, meet his wife and children, and then call me bedbug to my face. Yeah, that's good. Invite somebody to your home to brawl with your wife and kid. Well, naturally, everybody went wild. And this is like a story. It's a story that a New York Times columnist is politically motivated that acts like an idiot. It's a, it's a story now that liberals act like idiots. Apparently it is. Apparently we're going to play that game. That's not a news story. What's shocking that a liberal calls somebody's boss and acts in that way? For the record, anybody who who is unhappy with something that I tweet about them, because I'm probably the worst at this, I constantly am deconstructing the intellectual arguments of the left. I'll say it to your face. I'm not afraid of you. Well, maybe Clinton. I don't like to go after Chelsea Clinton anymore or Hillary Clinton. I don't care who you are. If you know 51 people that that died mysteriously, it's a little weird. I don't want to get a tinfoil hat there, Eon, but I I just decided I'm not going to cross these people. Especially what happened to Epstein. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what happened there, but I don't believe for a second that that guy committed suicide. Something awful happened to him. And I, it could have been any one of a hundred people that were responsible for it. It could have even been his cellmate who just didn't like pedophiles. But I'm, I'm just not going to cross those people. So the Clintons, I won't come to your door. But anybody else, I'll be happy to sit down with you and go, Hey, listen, I think you're a fucking idiot because you said this. And here's why. But I'm not going to brawl with your wife again. I'm not going to invite the Antifa to my home to brawl with my family. This is what we're all devolving to. This is how civil wars start. When you go back to our civil war that we fought 
in the 1860s over slavery and states' rights, you'll find that many congressmen were talking this way to each other. That's how it devolves. When you don't talk about policy, when you talk about a tweet or about what so-and-so said, when you pull that henhouse crap, that's when you become have problems in society. Let's take a break. I gotta, I, it's just, I have to talk about it in the context that we shouldn't be talking about. Isn't that weird? In the context that maybe we should focus on policy. Maybe we should focus on what Donald Trump is doing with the economy as insofar as what a president should be doing. Maybe we should talk about Congress basically passing nothing in the last couple of years. Maybe we should talk about this new green deal with the, which the left is saying that they're going to put into force if they get elected into the Oval Office. Maybe we should be talking about that instead of talking about space mirrors as a solution to global warming, which isn't anything that humankind is going to be able to do anything about. That's the key thing. Do you know, I was, I mentioned, speaking of tweets, did you know that Neil deGrasse Tyson, which I give a hard time over, I don't know how many times I've pointed out, I love getting into intellectual discussions with intellectuals because so many of them are fake. Not that Tyson is. But he tweeted out a story about the Amazon being lungs of the world. And he said, well, not really. It's not really worrisome about the Amazon on fire. Yeah, it's horrifying that the, the, the rainforest, that an ecosystem, a beautiful ecosystem like the Amazon is on fire or that segments of it are, but it's not really important in the scheme of things. The world is going to go on whether or not the Amazon exists or not. The world is here now, 2.7 or 3.7 billion years after it was formed. I don't know how many billion years ago. I mean, don't, please, you Bible thumpers, don't wave your buck at me and tell me it's 6,000 years old, okay? I don't know how many billion years old, but it existed long before man is here, and it existed without an Amazon rainforest at one time. Okay? And it will exist. If the Amazon were wiped out tomorrow, the world would go on. It would just be different and feel different. Its environments would be different, but the atmosphere isn't going anywhere. Don't worry about it so much. Is it something that we need to be concerned about? Let's Yeah, let's put out the fires in the Amazon. Sure. I'm all for that. But change the way we live and sacrifice our lifestyle? Sacrifice what makes life possible or comfortable today? Go back to living in a wigwam on a prairie hunting buffalo with a bow and arrow? No. No. That's not what we should do. Move forward. Evolve, not devolve. Anyway, I, I, I've... I've spoken too much about this it, it's it's we're constantly talking about opinion and we're not talking about actual problems that's my point uh we've only got a few minutes left we'll be right back I want to talk about this story only insofar as culture is concerned. 
there's this story now, the Video Music Awards for the other night. Not that anybody watched it. I remember when I was a young man, the Video Music Awards and MTV was the biggest thing since sliced bread. When a new music video came out from Madonna or one of these stars back then, world stopped insofar as my world. College students, this I'm talking about when I was in, in the 80s. Music videos were the rage. As a matter of fact, you could not be successful in the music industry unless you were capable of doing a new video. Madonna is largely popular because of the, mu the music video industry. It became a thing, and MTV was the conduit in which Americans learned about the music videos and what was interesting. The Beatles were making music videos back in the 60s, but nobody paid attention to it. It wasn't until MTV came along when the Reagan de um, deregulated telecommunication industry and made it possible for MTV to even exist when they formed all these channels like Weather Channel, MTV, CNN itself. World stopped. And the Video Music Awards were a big thing. They gave out I, these awards that looked like a, 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 at the time, I don't know what they looked like now. It was a golden thing of popcorn or whatever. I think it was. Or was it a, an astronaut? I'm not sure. Big thing. And the Video Music Award, everyone wanted to know who would win and who would win how. And at the VMA Awards, a lot of music stars would introduce a new video. So the world stopped. Everyone watched it. Not so much anymore. And people are saying, well, it's because all of the stars now are into politics and left-wing people. Are I think it's more than that. I think it's a, a different issue. MTV doesn't play video music any, anymore. And you turn on the channel, it's always some event, some beach party or something going on. Or some lecture about the liberal agenda. It's never a, a music, a, a video music uh, s s song. If you want to see music videos, what do you turn on? VH1 or some of these other little channels which show some of the stuff from the 80s and the 90s. The only stuff they introduce new, now on MTV is a rap video which is going to appeal to a more narrow segment. I'll leave it to you to judge whether you enjoy rap music or whatever. But... You know, this, these stars like Kanye West and, and Jay-Z and some of these others, uh, they're not going to have as broad appeal as a Madonna did or Billy Joel in the back in the day. And frankly, I've watched some of the videos. They're not as imaginative. They really aren't. Most of the videos have the star parading around in some kind of ridiculous costume and dancing and performing. It's not really what it used to be, where it kind of told a story that went along in a witty or interesting way. So as people watch less music videos, they watch less music video awards. I think that's really at the heart of it. It's more than just, well, nobody wants to see a star who's been telling us how to run the country. That's part of it. But I think it's more nobody's watching the video music, the music videos anymore. I think that's a more important thing to notice in our society. It's changing. People are just not enraptured anymore by the music video channels. They're now with streaming services and whatnot. You're listening to it. And frankly, 
when the music awards are focused on the on the visual aspect of it, and it's just basically somebody parading around in a wacky costume. It's not interesting. It's not entertaining anymore. That's why the ratings are at an all-time low. It's the same thing with the Oscars. The Oscars always are having all-time low ratings because nobody's watching the movies that they're giving awards to. Same thing with the... I mean, they talk about gold records and all that kind of stuff. Okay, you're selling a ton of albums, but nobody's watching for the, the, the music video that goes with it. And that's an important element of our society. It's a cultural thing. Today's kids are not doing the same things that my generation did. You can decide whether it's better or worse or just an old man complaining, but I, it's just a different culture. I don't understand it. I don't understand the dehumanizing element of rap music being such a thing with the liberal mindset. That I don't get. These music videos, especially the rap music videos and some of the things, they talk about women and such horrible things and they call me a misogynist. I would never say half the things or show half the things that they do on these music videos. And yet, the left wing constantly defends them. We're out of time. Again. Tomorrow we got a number of stories that we're going to get into. Uh, there's the wrap-up at the G7, and God knows what is going to happen today in the news. Isn't that weird? When you constantly open up the news and you wonder what's going to happen next. I had, this happened during the Obama administration too a couple times, where I dreaded what I was going to read on the news the next morning. I suppose the liberals are going through that with Trump, but it's more than just... What did Trump do today? It's what is going on in our society that we're not worried about things like revolution. Really, it's what it is. Civil revolution in Hong Kong against a genocidal human rights abuser like China. But we are concerned about what Trump tweeted out about some New York Times columnist. I, what, what have we become? What is our society? What is our culture becoming? This is something that you should be concerned about. Because eventually it leads to things like mass shootings, school shootings, dehumanization of fellow men, our violence toward each other. Anyway, we're out of time for today. And I'll be back tomorrow. Now, don't forget, tomorrow is Thursday. It's our last public show for the week. Then Friday we have our private show for our $10 donors. And then I'm off uh, for Monday, Labor Day. And then I'll be back on Tuesday. So take care, folks. Have a good one. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.